And hello and welcome to this week's edition of Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm Jake Novak. And you can always catch everything I'm writing about, um, the archives to this uh, radio show podcast has been going on for a couple of years now, uh, almost three years to be exact, uh, on my Twitter feed, at JakeJakeNY, the at symbol, Jake twice, at JakeJakeNY. And um, I'm also on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm on a number of places if you don't like Twitter. I hope to be back up on Parler when Parler starts working again. Um, but... It's always better to just go straight to the Twitter feed. You don't have to post there. You don't have to be a regular contributor or anything like that to just see what I'm doing and just following there. So, And again, I, I urge everyone to do it not only so that I can get more followers. That's not really the goal, but because there are so many things that I refer to and talk about in on Novak Now that really do require more reading. Uh, I'm aware of that. I'm aware that even a, a half-hour weekly podcast radio show uh, with 30 minutes to talk about any particular topic that that I want to talk about, uh, I know that that is still not enough time for a lot of the intellectual heft that it requires to to really get into some of these issues that I'm talking about. So I, I, I realize that this is still the Reader's Digest version of a lot of important information. So again, check out the Twitter feed as much as you possibly can, at JakeJakeNY, for frequent updates, frequent references, and and more reading, which I hope you'll find uh, stimulating, enjoyable, and all those things. I want to talk about today a very serious trend that I have noticed going on in America now for more than four years. And it's gotten to the point where it just can't be ignored anymore. It really needs to be pushed back on by good people like us, because the trend is out of control. And the trend I'm talking about today is this tendency now, mostly promoted by the news media, but, but politicians as well, to overstate, overshock, overfrighten people over the movement of white supremacy uh, in America. Now, I want to start off by saying very clearly that, of course, there are white supremacist movements in America. They exist. They are dangerous, even when encountering one or two people at a time who are in, in these groups. Um, they are hate groups. And I have no problem with uh, the FBI or any other law enforcement group investigating people who may be breaking uh, a number of different laws connected to hate groups. You know, you're allowed to be a hate group, of course, but it's when you start talking about uh, using, maybe ev evading taxes, for example, to grow your your hate group's uh, treasury, whether you're most specifically sending out uh, literature or messages that specifically incite violence, literally. And of course, that's something that for the courts to decide. Sometimes there's an argument about whether certain literature or statements do actually incite violence. Um, but there are certainly, I, you'd be naive and just unfair to say that there isn't some specific incitement of violence by some of these white supremacist groups. So, of course, that does happen. And nobody here, uh, especially not me, is denying that we've had these kinds of hate groups in America for a long time. Every country, by the way, has them under different names, and they're not always white supremacist groups. There are other groups, of course, uh, in, in other countries in the world. Uh, but that is not to excuse any of these groups or excuse any of the countries that, that have these 
these groups. But it's just something since probably the beginning of time that we have these kinds of organized hate organizations, for lack of a better description. And we have them in the United States. And they're never probably not going to be a problem at some level. Now, I wanted to get that preamble out there. I wanted to say that before everything else I'm going to say so that there's no misunderstanding about what I'm about to really dedicate this edition of Novak Now to. Because what I want to talk about is how for especially the last four and a half years, getting on to about four and a half years, for especially for the last four and a half years, there is no doubt in my mind that the American news media, a good deal of American politicians, the American entertainment media, and too many Americans doing it themselves on social media themselves are doing the following. They have, I believe, created a crying wolf situation when it comes to white supremacy in America that is leading to becoming a terribly self-fulfilling prophecy. So let me explain what I'm saying here. Whereas, of course, as I just said to begin this program, there are white supremacists in America, there are white supremacist groups in America, and they are dangerous, even in small numbers. What we've seen over the last four and a half years is a wild exaggeration of their numbers. We have seen a wildly unreasonable and unrealistic attribution of problems in America to white supremacy or a attribution of many, many major acts to white supremacists, which are giving them an elevated platform. I'll talk about more of that in a second. And it, of course, is becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy by inaccurately expanding the depiction of how powerful and how large white supremacist groups in America really are. These people who are crying wolf about this, and again, I mentioned the culprits, the news media, the entertainment media, a lot of politicians, and sadly, a lot of ordinary Americans on social media, by overstating the influence of these groups, they are creating a situation where the influence of these groups actually is growing. For example, they can, just for one hypothetical example, as they try to recruit new members, they now can send them a ton of links from major news publications and from major speeches from major politicians talking about how important and powerful they are. And that's alluring to a lot of people, especially disaffected people, the kind of people who are angry, the kind of people who've always been prime targets to join white supremacist groups and hate groups of every kind, whether it's the KKK here in the United States or Nazis over in, 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 in um, 20th century Europe, the whole, the whole story, the whole story that, that I think many of you are very familiar with. Now, to me, this is... Not only a problem because of what I've just described, and I'm going to talk about some of the instances of this, but it's also a problem because it pushes back on what I've been talking about for the last several editions of Novak now, which is why my push for a more vigorous, adrenaline-producing positivity on social media, which is something on our shoulders. Maybe we can't fix the major news media and entertainment media on our own. But for those of us who either wittingly or unwittingly spread the negativity, spread the conflict, spread the disproportionate sense of the truth 
online on our own social media posts. And I think we've all been guilty of this at one time or another, if you've been active on Facebook or Twitter over the last 10, 20 years. Well, it hasn't been 20 years that they've even existed, but let's say 10 years. I think we've all at some time or another been wittingly or unwittingly guilty of this. Of course, as you know, I've been pushing for a more strenuous, positive attitude online to really try to get the same adrenaline that, we, that, that gets produced when we put something negative or frightening in our social media posts, try to get, try to word it properly, try to put it in the right context so that you get the same kind of adrenaline reaction from a positive or encouraging post or, or a piece of news that you're, you're spreading around. So of course, this overstatement of how influential and how large and how powerful white supremacist groups are in America is the exact opposite of what I'm talking about. It is in many ways, even before we talk about social media here for a second, this over-exaggeration of white supremacy and the way that white supremacy has been depicted in, in the U.S. news media and has been credited, for lack of a better word, with being responsible for so much that's gone on over the last several years, is it, it is an example of every one of the biases and failings of the American news media that I have outlined for many years including on other editions of Novak Now. Many of you know that I list three main biases for the American news media in this order, in descending order. The number one bias for American news media, and probably all news media since the beginning of time, since the time of the cave drawings, the number one bias has been the bias in favor of negativity, the bias in favor of fear, the bias in favor of creating conflict, just that bad feelings type of negativity bias that news media has because throughout history, these kinds of stories, stories that invoke fear and anger are the ones that are most likely to get people to, years ago, buy a newspaper, get people now to click on a story, get people now to share a story. Now, again, as you've heard me argue in previous editions of Novak, now I've, I've said, I think you can get the same kind of frenzy, for lack of a better word, I think you can produce the same kind of frenzy and adrenaline from positive stories if they're couched in the proper context. So I urge you to check out the Nachum Siegel Network archives for my show, Novak, now over the last couple of editions for more details on how to do that. But for, for this particular instance now, I want to talk about what's, how dangerous it is when you don't do what I'm suggesting, because what the news media Again, the entertainment media and a lot of ordinary people have been doing for too many years now is the exact opposite when it comes to discussing white supremacist groups in America. We have created a bigger problem by supposedly pointing out the problem and, and supposedly attacking the problem. You've actually made it worse. Now, the first thing they've done to make it worse is they frightened a lot of people. At, at its core, whether you're talking about terrorism, whether it's coming from foreign terrorist groups or domestic terrorist groups, don't forget the word terror. They're trying to get people to be afraid. And when you spread the fear for them, when you act as a mouthpiece for them, which is what the news media is doing, I think not so unwittingly. Maybe some of the folks in a newsroom, the rank and file workers don't realize what they're doing. But I think that the people who really own these media companies... And more importantly, the type of people who really run the networks, you know, the person who really is in charge at CNN, the person who's really in charge at the New York Times, the person who's really in charge at the major networks. I think they pretty much know what they're doing when it comes to spreading fear 
and spreading that terror. Well, they are doing the white supremacist group's work for them in many ways, but this is just the first way. They're spreading that fear around. So it is despicable on that one count. They're actually kind of doing them a favor. Not that we suppress stories about crimes. If a white supremacist group commits an act of violence or racist graffiti or stuff like that, I'm not saying you shouldn't report it. But, it's, but you, when it takes a, proportion, a, a disproportional place in your newspaper or on your television program or on your website, that's a problem. That's a problem. And of course, the American news media has done all of those things. And again, the entertainment media has done it too for years now. For many years now, not just since Donald Trump was a presidential candidate, you know, starting in 2015. But of course, that was a major spike in it. So the negative bias, the scare tactic bias, the conflict bias, that, of course, is very present. That, is, that of course, is a weakness that this white supremacy issue and story has really exploited. Of course, the second major bias is the geographical bias. And when you take a look at stories that are in the mostly New York and Washington-based news media, as you may know, the percentage of professional journalists and journalism organizations that are centered in either New York or Washington, D.C. is the highest it's ever been. More and more of our news content is coming out of New York or D.C. than ever before, which is amazing when you consider that the Internet allows people from all over the country to be broadcasters and be content producers. It really shouldn't be this way, but it is, unfortunately. That percentage is growing and growing. And laughingly, especially since we know of all the anti-Semitic attacks that have been going on in places like Brooklyn for years now that have been on the rise, and that is true. Laughingly, journalists in New York and journalists in Washington, D.C. have convinced themselves that while there is some racism and definitely some racist violence going on in their cities, it is mostly a red state America problem. So the second major bias, the second biggest bias in the news media gets, you know, is very much taken advantage of by this issue again. Because when they report about white supremacy and they report about these kinds of extremist groups, it is part also of the geographical bias of those New York and D.C.-based reporters who believe that they are superior, that they believe that blue states are better in almost every single way than red states. And this is another story that they're going to be very attracted to covering and very attracted to overcovering because it really is part, it really triggers their geographical bias against other states in the country that are not like them. And of course, the third most prevalent American news media bias is the political bias in favor of mostly left-wing, or in, in our case, Democratic Party leaders. And of course, this has been a mantra of the Democratic Party, especially since Donald Trump became a candidate. But they have used the white supremacy slur and smear on Republicans and conservatives for many years, certainly many years before the Donald Trump political career began. And so this is another thing that the news media is going to be much more likely to parrot, much more likely to promote because of their third biggest bias, which is their bias in favor of liberalism, their bias in favor in the United States of the Democratic Party, and things like that. And so you have a trifecta. You have a Joker's Wild type situation going on here with this white supremacy story in America. The reason why it's getting so much coverage is because it hits all those, all those bullseyes. It hits the fear bullseye, fear and, and, and mania bullseye. It, it hits the geographic bias and, 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 and elitism 
bullseye. And it hits the, the bias of political leftism and favoritism to the Democratic Party. Now, what has been the result of all of this? Well, you know, I alluded to it earlier. The white supremacist groups in this country, which I believe had reached probably an all-time low post-Civil War in this country, starting in the early 2000s. I think by the time we hit the early 2000s, we probably had an all-time low percentage-wise and influence-wise for these groups, which was a great thing, which was not widely reported because it doesn't fit into the three biases I just mentioned all that much. But for those of us like me who grew up in the South, we know that that kind of influence had really, really been shrinking to a point that we had never seen before. And I think it started to get a little bit of a boost after 9-11, clearly some anti-Muslim hatred, which was not proportional to what happened at 9-11, happened at least in some of the rhetoric for white supremacist groups. And of course, we also know that 9-11 and the war in Iraq also triggered some very strong anti-Semitism. How many of us heard those slurs about how the war in Iraq was some kind of a war for Israel? Which, by the way, neither one of the Gulf Wars, the first Gulf War against Iraq or the second Gulf War in Iraq, really were great for Israel at all. For those of you who don't know the truth, certainly the second one was not good for Israel, and the first one wasn't either. It's a, you know, a real libel and lie that somehow the war in Iraq helped Israel or was for Israel. We all know that that's ridiculous. But we heard that kind of rhetoric. Most of us did, sadly. So I do think it got a little bit of a jump and a little bit of a kickstart after 9-11 and from the Gulf War. But again, I think it was dissipating again until the news media decided to create it as an issue to in hopes of dismantling Donald Trump because that's their third bias, that liberal bias, but also mostly in hopes of whipping up a frenzy, whipping up fear, whipping up, whipping up anger and, and, and conflict, at least intellectual conflict, in, within the United States. Which is why we had, for example, that rash, and it probably still continuing, but it was a real rash of hoax hate crimes around the time that President Trump was first elected and going through really his first year in office and maybe into his second year. It turned out that the overwhelming majority of the heavily reported racial attacks in the country that were connected specifically to Donald Trump, I'm not talking about all racial attacks, but the ones that were specifically blamed on Trump supporters turned out to be hoaxes, turned out to be staged attacks by people who didn't like Donald Trump in the hopes of smearing him and his supporters. Or they were the acts of people who were completely deranged and off their rocker, sadly like the Israeli teen or the American Jewish teen living in Israel who was behind those bomb threats to all the Jewish community centers in the United States, if you remember that, in 2017. So that is really, I mean, again, it's one thing where if it's the news media and the entertainment media that gets into this frenzy, but sadly, this stuff really does spread. And it spreads to social media. When people like you and me start parroting this frenzied, conflict-laden stuff. And like I said, this has really helped the white supremacist groups out there. They now have a level of street cred among their potential hate group members and existing hate group members that they didn't have before, that they hadn't had in decades. I mean, I think you need to go back to the 1960s in America to find a time when some of these white supremacist groups could really point to the newspapers and the television news and say, hey, we're on the news and in the papers every single day. We're a hit. We're something. 
we are an entity in America where we had suddenly become a forgotten group. Not suddenly, for a long time, had become a forgotten group. Now, I'm 50 years old, which means I was a teenager around the time when Geraldo Rivera, for example, was doing talk shows in the 1980s, and he was, was, was relying heavily on the few remaining white supremacist leaders in America for conflict on his show. The infamous moment when there was a big fight that started on his show and he got his nose broken by a chair that was thrown at his face. That was something that for afternoon talk show drama had to be scraped from the bottom of the barrel. They found these people who were the, the remnants of, of what was once a larger movement, put them on the talk shows and got some kind of publicity out of it. However, his show wasn't so much of a national phenomenon, thankfully, at the time. And I think that Geraldo Rivera has, you know, some things, some good things to contribute to the journalism world once in a while. But that wasn't it. That program that he did in the 1980s was not it. But luckily, that didn't really seem to spark a lot of interest in these groups from the more established and larger news media and from the, the public at large. It was kind of a circus sideshow thing going on. So I'm grateful for that, and I was grateful for that at the time. And I remember a lot of people looking at those programs and saying, wow, I guess I'm sort of glad that Geraldo put them on, because even though it did give them a little bit more publicity, most of us saw what incredible losers these people were. And they were depicted that way. That's where I'll give the, that show and those talk shows in the 80s a little bit of a credit. They did not try to portray them as a large major political movement. They did not try to give them, attribute major voting results to them. And they really did kind of make them look like the losers that they were because it was hard not to depict them that way. They were that way. Now, fast forward to 2021 and 2020 and going all the way back to really 2016, and you have the news media, the established news media, not only covering these groups, but giving them a real prominent position. And now you have the situation where the entire Republican Party, the grand old party, a major, you know, one of the two major parties in this country, getting routinely described as some kind of white supremacist movement by the same media types, by a lot of folks out there. I mean, look how far we've come. We've come from shows like Geraldo, you know, the Geraldo talk show of the 1980s having to find these people and scrape the bottom of the barrel to get them, depicting them mostly as losers and just using them for a momentary circus sideshow type event. To today, where you have the major news organizations, the major entertainment media, and the political leadership, not just like rank-and-file kooks, but political leadership of the Democratic Party describing their opponents and tens of millions of Americans as either being really active members of white supremacist groups or white supremacist ideology, believing in it, or at least being very, very hospitable to it. That's where we've come in America, to the point where that circus sideshow of 30, 40 years ago has turned into a major political message, a major cultural message from some of the major voices in America, not just a, 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 you know, a syndicated talk show. And that's what, it's become this self-fulfilling prophecy, because now white supremacy is being given a lot of, a lot of credibility, not from an ideological point of view. Everyone's saying it's bad. I'm not saying that they're being given an ideological credibility, but they're giving credibility. They bring, they're, give, they're being given credibility from as a political movement, as some kind of political powerhouse. Which, folks, take it from me, it's not true. 
White supremacist movements don't have any more power in America than they did many years ago, which is to say they don't have much. They really don't have any at all. But if we continue to talk about them like they are powerful, they are going to grow in membership and they will have power. And that's the danger. And I'm seeing it. We're all seeing it happen in front of our eyes. And we've got to stop it. We've got to push back on it somehow. Because it just makes the problem worse. It just makes the problem worse. And I have to tell you that it just goes beyond depictions of stories and putting them on the front page and maybe they don't belong there. It, it, there are stories that exist in, you know, our, our American history and our recent American history, which I, I think have been put together to somehow exacerbate and to exaggerate the influence of white supremacy. I'm sorry, folks, but that March, March on Charlottesville in 2017 where the anti-racist protester, that woman was killed, and we all know what happened, and the whole hoax about President Trump supposedly calling white supremacists very fine people when he said they weren't and they should be discredited totally and, 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 and um, denounced totally. But you know what happened with that, with everyone from Joe Biden on down continuing to believe or at least lie about what President Trump said about them. But, you know, folks, I can't get out of my head the fact that that march on Charlottesville that racist march on Charlottesville, and there were some people who were marching in favor of free speech, but the call for all the white supremacists in America to show up to Charlottesville, and a number of them did, although it took weeks or maybe even months to get them to show up, because again, there's not a lot of them in this country. <laughs> really, thank God. But I can't help be continuing to be disturbed. I can't help but to continue to be disturbed by the fact that that march was organized by someone who was a very vocal supporter of President Obama just four and eight years before. It makes very little sense to me. How does someone who was a vocal supporter of Barack Obama become the person in 2017 who organizes a white supremacist march on Charlottesville, Virginia? It makes no sense to me, unless we're talking about someone who was one of the pioneers in this smear campaign effort to smear all the Trump supporters and by extension all Republicans as white supremacists. It's just, it just, it's one of those things that has just nagged at me for years now. It's almost four years that has nagged at me. How can someone who was a big Obama supporter suddenly turn into a white supremacist organizer? I, I suppose it's possible from a psychological point of view for people who are professionals in this. Maybe this is just someone who liked to get attention and so he switched teams, so to speak. But it feels like to me that what was really going on was a smear campaign that was sadly successful. People fell for it. The white supremacists showed up, however, you know, a few hundred of them showed up after weeks and weeks of being urged to show up. Other people showed up to protest them. Some people showed up for free speech. I think all of them probably would have been better if they none of them had showed up. And there was a death. And then you had it turned into a national political issue. A perfect storm created by someone whose motives I still don't understand. If he had just been a regular white supremacist guy who was smarter than the average white supremacist bear and knew how to get publicity and got all those people to show up after a lot of urging, then I'd say, okay, you know, whatever. He knew what he was, he, he was a, he was more skilled than his, 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 his counterparts. But he has such a different history, personal history to them that I'm having, you know, a real hard time understanding it. Of course, there are many other issues in America that get exacerbated and, and, and made worse 
by all those biases and by all those failings that I talked about. It's important that all of us look at them. We see it every day with the depiction of life in Israel and the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We see it every day with other issues that are blasted out of proportion by all these biases and, and all these problems. We have to be part of the solution here. Don't spread the fear and the hate. Don't spread the conflict. Find a way to be excited about the good news and putting that out there so that everybody knows about it. That's really the message here. And what's going on with the depiction of white supremacy in America is the exact opposite of what we want. If we just do the opposite of everything that's being done to talk about that issue, we'll be in a good place. I'm Jake Novak. This has been Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. I hope to speak to you again next week.